0: Trinity Harbor Church offers the following audio recording as a ministry without charge or legal restriction. We're located in downtown Rockwall, Texas, serving the greater Northeast Dallas area. For more information, visit us online at TrinityHarborChurch.com. Our prayer is that by this message, you will encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, my name is Bill Burns. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Harbor Church. Our sermon passage this morning is from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. I'd ask if you're uh, able to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. You'll find the passage printed for you in your worship guide as well, if you'd like to read along. now the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This morning we're continuing in our sermon series entitled Mission Chosen to be Sent. And what we've been looking at is how God's mission informs our lives and what happens when we choose to participate or not to participate in God's mission. Each week we've been looking at an aspect of Trinity Harbor's mission a mission a statement and looking at a biblical example of what happens when we choose not to participate followed by an example of what happens when we do participate. So last week and this week we've been talking about uh, the aspect of community what it means for us to grow in community. We saw what happened last week to those who chose to put their own interests ahead of the community and ahead of God's mission. This morning, we're actually going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and how he participated in God's mission and the benefits that growing in community provided for him as he did so. You know, community is actually kind of a hot topic these days. Everyone seems to be talking about the human need for community and what provides for good community. There's a growing recognition that people are feeling more and more disconnected from each other, despite the fact that the world is getting smaller and smaller every day. People feel isolated. How can this be? A year and a half ago, an article appeared in The New Yorker entitled, Is Facebook Making Us Lonelier? And it was pointing out how, rather than social media connecting people and making them feel more a part of something, more and more people were going on Facebook and increasing in their sense of isolation, their sense that everyone else seems to be living exciting lives and somehow uh, we're the only ones who aren't. So what do we do to fill the void in our lives? Here's how Tim Kreider answered that question in an article for the New York Times. If you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's, it's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. Busy. So busy. Crazy busy. It is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint. And the stock response is a kind of congratulations. Well, that's a good problem to have. Or better than the opposite... Even children are busy now, scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities. They come home at the end of the day as tired as grown-ups. And he goes on to conclude, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. Why would we choose to make ourselves and our children so crazy busy? And the obvious answer is that it helps us to fill the void. We struggle with both a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging, being part of a community and purpose that transcends the tedium, the boringness, the humdrum of our everyday lives. Well, how important is that sense of belonging to us? How important is it for us to feel like we belong to something more than just ourselves? Stanford professor and social psychologist Gregory Walton writes that belonging is a psychological lever that has broad consequences. Our interest, motivation, health, and happiness are inextricably tied to the feeling that we belong to a greater community that shares common interests and aspirations. Isolation, loneliness, loneliness, and low social status can harm a person's subjective sense of well-being, as well as his or her intellectual achievement, immune function, and health. Research shows that even a single instance of exclusion can undermine well-being, IQ test performance, and self-control. His earlier studies actually demonstrated that a sense of social belonging can affect motivation and continued persistence, That is, if you don't feel like you belong, then you are both less motivated and less likely to hang in there in the face of obstacles. So what is it that God's community, the church, provides? What kind of community does it provide, and what does it mean to belong to that community? As we consider our passage from Acts this morning, we're going to see something very important about just what kind of a community the church is. And that is that the church is both the means and the end to God's mission. The church is both the means and the end to God's mission. Some of you are keenly aware of your need for community. And you recognize that the church is a means for providing you with the benefits of community, with fellowship, with caring concern. What you're really looking for is a community apart from mission. You want what the community has to offer you, but you don't want to give up anything you're already doing to participate in God's mission. After all, you're already crazy busy. But here's the thing. You can't separate the community of God from the mission of God. God provided Paul with community in Corinth, as we'll look at in just a minute. And that provision of community is what helped Paul to plant the church in Corinth. The community was the means by which God accomplished his mission, and the result was a growing, established community that met the needs of God's mission and the needs of God's people as they participated in that mission together. If you view the church simply as a way for your needs to be met, then you're always going to struggle to belong because the church is on a mission to see God's rescue plan for humanity bear fruit in every corner of the world. And if that's not the mission that informs your life and your life's purpose, then you're probably going to end up being disappointed. Now, don't misunderstand me here. We've already talked in this series about how Jesus came to heal the broken, And that part of our mission at Trinity Harbor Church is to acknowledge our own brokenness and participate in seeing Jesus bring healing to our broken marriages, broken families, broken communities, and broken lives. But as we experience healing, as we experience Jesus' compassion for us, we long to see others find the very same healing as well. So we move outside of ourselves and look for opportunities to minister to others. Our hearts become more and more characterized by Jesus' heart for others. If we never move outside of ourselves and having our own needs met, then we're not just rejecting Jesus' mission, we're rejecting the mission of the church. Wanting community from the church without wanting to be part of the church's mission is kind of like joining the army because you want to make new friends, but not really being interested in fighting or exercise. If that's what you're looking for, then you're going to end up being very disappointed because the army has a mission to fulfill. And the church has a mission to fulfill as well. So let's look at how essential the community is for that mission in our passage from Acts 18. Paul comes to Corinth, a cosmopolitan city of the ancient world, which sits in the middle of multiple trade routes and is a vital hub for commerce and cultural exchange. So as Paul arrives there, let's just think about some of the potential challenges that Paul faces as he tries to establish God's church in the city of Corinth, the strategic location. First off, he had to have struggled with loneliness. He's already lost his own mentor, Barnabas, to a dispute about personnel. And he takes Silas with him through Macedonia, and along the way Timothy joins him. But Paul ends up having to leave them behind as when his life is threatened, he has to, he's essentially spirited away. Paul and, excuse me, Silas and Timothy remain behind. But Paul says to them, please come join me as soon as you can. He longs to have his companions in ministry, with him. Second, Paul is in need of financial provision. That's something that we can all relate to. He's a tent maker, possibly a leather worker by trade, and ends up engaging in this occupation as a means of financial provision. And it's good for him to do that, but it actually the time he invests in trade is taking away from the time that he wants to be spending proclaiming Jesus and ministering there in the synagogue. And then third, Paul faces opposition. As was his custom, he began ministering in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, trying to persuade those who already knew and worshipped the one true God, that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Messiah, the one who was going to usher in the kingdom of God. But verse 8 tells us that they opposed him, and they reviled him there. Now, I don't know about you, but... Revile is one of those words that I know is bad, but I wasn't exactly sure what the, what the dictionary definition was, so I looked it up. And reviling means assailing someone with abusive and contemptuous language. When was the last time that you were reviled when someone actually spoke to you with clearly abusive and contemptuous language? It can't have been easy for Paul to persevere in the face of such a hostile Reaction from those he was trying to help and it had to have taken its toll on him. Finally, Paul faces the discouragement of seeming failure. We know from Romans chapter 9 that Paul longed to see his fellow Jews discover the joy of knowing Christ and the glory of Christ just as he had, and it caused him great sorrow whenever they didn't. Well, he's clear in his response in verse 6 that he's done all he can and that their blood is on their own heads. But it must have been a great disappointment for him at the same time. Many of you know the discouragement of sharing your faith with family members or friends only to see them reject the offer of life that the gospel holds out. It's an ongoing source of grief in your life. Others of you have ministered faithfully to someone close to you only to see them make bad choices that destroy their lives. They may be responsible for their own choices, but it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking to see the toll that sin takes on them and on those who love them. But don't miss what God is doing in the midst of the challenges that Paul faces. He arrives in Corinth alone, But as he engages in tent making, God brings him Aquila and Priscilla. They're probably already Christians, and even though they were expelled from Rome because of the persecution there, it's actually God's divine appointment to bring them and Paul together. Particularly at a moment where he's missing his traveling companions. But before long, Silas and Timothy do arrive and bolster Paul's spirits. It's likely that they brought with them financial contributions from the other churches in the region, since it's at that point that Paul becomes fully occupied with gospel ministry to the people in Corinth. And even when he's rejected, turned out of the synagogue, a man who lives right next door to the synagogue opens his home to him, giving Paul both a place to stay and close proximity to the location in which he was ministering. God has used his people to provide for Paul's financial needs. And in the face of opposition from the synagogue, one of its rulers, named Crispus, is converted to the faith. That had to have been a comfort to Paul's heart, as well as adding credibility to his message with those who he had been speaking to in the synagogue. And then finally, Jesus himself encourages Paul with word that he is with him and will protect him from his enemies. Why? Verse 10 tells us that Jesus has many people in this city. Jesus will ensure that all those who are his hear the gospel and experience his redemption. So Paul ends up remaining in Corinth, teaching the word of God for a year and a half, longer than he stayed in most of the places that he visited. God uses the church to enable Paul to carry out his mission and uses the mission of the church to build up the community of the church. The church is both the means and the end of God's mission. Now, I know that there are some of you here who like community but struggle with mission, but there are also some of you here who struggle with the idea of community. Maybe you love Jesus, but you're just not so sure about the church. And there could be any number of valid reasons for why that's so. Some of you have had bad church experiences in the past. I can relate to that. I've seen the best of the church, and I've seen the worst of the church. And I've been in churches where there have been bitter conflicts. In spite of that fact, if you're coming to any church, including this church, expecting the church to be a place free from sin then you're bound to become disillusioned. Stephen Nichols, biographer, uh, in his book Bonhoeffer on the Christian Life, says that Christians have a tendency to approach the church with some sort of a utopian dream wherein we idealize the body of Christ and see her as what she ought to be rather than as what she is. And Bonhoeffer calls this idea the wish dream. And so Nichols writes, reflecting Bonhoeffer's thinking, Because of this wish-dream, innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down. But God in his grace shatters our illusions and dreams of peace and harmony. The sooner we come face-to-face with disillusionment with others and disillusionment with ourselves, Bonhoeffer adds, the better off we and the church are. There is a realism here that we should appreciate, and a realism that once grasped, Goes a long way in sustaining true and genuine community in the church. We come to grips with all of our own limitations and weaknesses and besetting sins. And we come to grips with the same in others, even in our leaders and heroes. Then we live in real and not ideal communities. Church is not a wish dream. Do you get what he's saying? The church isn't perfect, but we are a family. And like any family, They're bound to be personal failings, disappointments, and people who just plain irritate you. But the difference is that we are the family of God. God has promised to work through his family, to build up his family, both in numbers and in godliness. Jesus is is determined to accomplish his mission through the church in spite of all of her shortcomings. Well, some of you may tend to avoid community because you're really afraid of being known. You show up on Sunday morning, but avoid getting close to anyone because you fear rejection and don't want to be hurt. You see all these put-together people and are just hoping that no one will catch on to the fact that you don't have it all together. Well, I've got news for you. I have yet to meet a member of this church that has it all together and never struggles. This church is filled with sinners from wall to wall, no matter how well we clean up on Sunday morning. And that goes for your elders and your pastors, too. There's an old saying, don't judge your insides by other people's outsides. So take a chance and let someone else see that you don't have it all together. I can't tell you how relieved they're going to be to discover that they can stop pretending that they have it all together, too. Men, if you're looking for a safe place to admit just how not together your life is, then I encourage you to come to our Samson Society meetings on Monday night at 8 o'clock here at the church. Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Everyone in this church is a recovering sinner, struggling to live out their recovery, sometimes failing, but always relying on Jesus for the grace to struggle on, knowing that his mercies are new every morning. Others of you may simply think that you really don't need community. I would simply say that that depends on what mission you're on. If you think that you're trying to follow Jesus, but consider the church optional or maybe incidental to your life, and consider the point of the passage that we looked at this morning. Whenever you faithfully follow Jesus, you're going to encounter loneliness and discover your neediness and face opposition both within and without and experience discouragement. The truth is that we need the church, that you need the church, whether you realize it or not. Ryan and I each actually belong to a group of fellow pastors who provide accountability and encouragement for us. The men in my group are friends that I went to seminary with. And even though the, the, the fellow pastors in my group and I have only been in ministry for about five years, over that five-year span, virtually every one of us has experienced some sort of life crisis, whether it's losing a job or uh, having a marriage very seriously on the rocks, or struggling with personal failings, or um, just experiencing overwhelming anxiety. Uh, Each one of us has relied on and depended on the support and encouragement and help that comes from one another. The simple truth is that God did not intend for us to live the Christian life on our own. Paul couldn't make it on his own, and neither can we. We need the church if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus in his mission. But on the other hand, I think some of you need to ask yourself the question, what mission are you on? What is your purpose in life? If you don't have a ready answer to that question, then there's a good chance that your unstated mission is that you're living for yourself, for your own comfort and your own pleasure. All of us were created for relationship, relationship with God and relationship with each other. And when we live for ourselves, it tends to wreak havoc on our relationships and on ourselves. The hit AMC television series, Breaking Bad, just concluded its five-year run. And I'm going to say two things right off the bat. First of all, for those of you who haven't finished watching, I'm not going to pull a Ryan and tell you how it ends. So you can set your minds at ease. And then secondly, just as a reminder, referencing a movie or television show is not an endorsement from the pulpit or the pastoral staff or an encouragement for you to go watch it. This series is very dark. Breaking Bad follows the life of Walter White, a high school chemistry teacher in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who learns that he has terminal cancer. He can't afford treatment, so he turns to doing what anyone would do in the situation. He starts cooking crystal meth a popular and lucrative street drug. And what's most captivating about the show is how people view Walt. People tend to see him as sort of an everyman. He's a typical man in a strained marriage, disappointed with how his life has turned out. And, and the people who watch the show root for him like he's a hero. They look past his crime spree as he works his way up the chain in the drug empire. They forget his murders and they hate his nagging wife so much that the actress who plays her has literally received death threats. The people who watch the show see themselves in Walt, both the good and the bad, and the struggle to survive and find meaning in their lives at all costs. Well, one commentator astutely sized up the fact that there really is an understated moral of the show and his main character. This is what he writes. On his his surface, the anti-hero, Walt, is a selfish creature looking out only for himself, though perhaps having a pang of guilt about it here or there. Old anti-hero shows coded this at least somewhat in terms of being vaguely exciting or fun, and Breaking Bad did that for a while. But as time went on, that became more and more empty more and more hollow. Breaking Bad became more brazenly about what it means to care only about yourself, to leave behind ideas of connection and community in favor of material ends. It was the embodiment of the old idea of look out for number one taken to its logical extreme. Look back at those early episodes, and Walt's life doesn't seem that bad. He has a pretty wife and a nice house, loving son and a baby on the way. And above all, he has friends and people who care about him, a community of loved ones just waiting to help him out if need be. It's not heaven on earth, but at least it's a glimpse of what that might look like. And yet, it's not enough. He gives in to his selfishness and pride, his rage and resentment. He becomes the devil and is punished accordingly. He lived in something a little like heaven, and he chose instead to create something far more like hell. Breaking Bad argues that that is a choice too many of us make every day of our lives. So I ask you again, what mission are you on? Are you living for yourself? Whether that takes the form of the American dream, or whether you're content to work 40 hours a week, plop down in front of the television when you get home, Never bothering to be a part of something outside of yourself, part of something that is greater than you, part of something that gives more meaning to your life than the little you're willing to settle for. In 1999, after seven years of working in Christian ministry, I decided to go to business school. And at that time, I was one of those people that I mentioned earlier who was disillusioned with the church. And I was looking elsewhere for something to give my life meaning and purpose like any good business school student, I got a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And one morning I picked up my copy and read a front-page story about the CEO of Heinz, the condiment company. Ketchup had been slipping in its dominance in the market. And this CEO had completely turned things around. And so he told the, interview in this, the interviewer in this article, every morning when I wake up, I just have one thought. How can I get people... To eat more ketchup. <laughs> and that's when it hit me. With all due respect to the CEO, I didn't think getting people to eat more ketchup could possibly get me out of bed every morning. Don't misunderstand me here. I think that God values our hard work done unto Him, regardless of our vocation. I'm not putting vocational ministry on a higher plane than any other vocation but I realized that morning that career success or financial success or personal achievement could never really satisfy my deepest longings for meaning and purpose in life. I needed something bigger than that. I needed to live for the glory of God to know that my life contributed to that glory and that God in his grace gave me a share In that glory. You see, only the gospel of Jesus Christ is big enough for us to give our lives for. Only the mission of God is truly cosmic in scope, eternal in its significance, and glorious in its victory. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus May you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his holy people the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul understood that the church was both the means and the ends of God's mission in Christ. So what am I asking of you this morning? I'm not asking you to quit your jobs or to neglect your families, but I am asking you to see yourself and your family as part of God's community, to see your life's mission in the context of God's mission. And that might look like ministering to local refugees, going with us to India, teaching our children, encouraging a friend who's struggling, or gathering with your brothers and sisters for our monthly night of prayer. The church is God's provision for our need for belonging, to know that we belong to God's own people, that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we belong to a community that both cares for us and gives us a larger purpose for our lives, to participate in Christ's mission of rescuing the world from the destructive effects of sin. Only in Christ will we find something that will keep us meaningfully busy, but at the same time give us rest for our souls that we desperately long for, the sense that we were living out what we were created to be and to do, living faithfully for the one who gave his life for us that we might have the fullness of life in him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and we thank you for the work of redemption that he has accomplished and is continuing to accomplish in our lives and in the lives of those around us, to the ends of the earth, in India. Father, we also thank you for the provision, the means by which uh, that redemption is extended. We thank you for the church. We thank you for God's people. Father, we confess that as your family, we don't always love each other very well. We don't always forgive each other very well. Sometimes we just don't even want to be around each other. But we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for how our lives have been touched by uh, the community, by the church, by those in the church. We thank you that it is your provision for ministering ministering to our needs, for uh, giving us belonging and purpose. And we pray that you would help us to see our lives in that way, that we would look for opportunities not to live on our own, Not to live for community apart from mission, but as we experience the blessedness of our redemption, that we would long more and more to participate in that mission, to serve one another, to build up one another, to see others be ministered to, to care for the needy and the downcast and the brokenhearted. Thank you for your family and thank you for the work that you are doing in us and through us in order that we might all move toward that glorious future that you have uh, accomplished, purposed, and have guaranteed to lead us to in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.